so glad you're with us. Hey, listen, I just want to say this up front. Um, we just wrapped up a series called The Comeback, and uh, it was absolutely incredible. We saw just a lot of people coming to know Jesus. And uh, we're going to do something a little bit different um, this Sunday. We're going to kind of have more of, I guess we call it a family meeting. And uh, basically what I want to do this morning is just kind of share with you kind of where this church is going, where we're heading, kind of what our future looks like, and then cast a vision for you guys that ultimately is so much bigger than just you and me. Because at the end of the day, I believe that one of the sole desires of the human heart, whether it doesn't matter who you are in here, you just want to be something, you want to be a part of something that's so much bigger than yourself. You want to be a part of something bigger than just waking up in the morning, going to work, following the routine, and doing it all over again. At this sole desire of our heart, we want to be a part of something incredible, a part of something big. And I can truly say this, um, within the past year that we have started this church, this is already bigger than just us. This is already bigger than just me. This is bigger than just some of our leaders. This is ultimately God just having his way. And so I want to talk this morning about really how we can be good stewards of everything that God is doing here within this church. Before we dive into this, let's just go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you that this morning, God, that we even have the opportunity to sit in this room today and hear you, encounter you, experience you. God, I pray that no matter where we're at in our lives right now, maybe some of us have walked in with just completely different backgrounds. Maybe we're not familiar with the church and we're not familiar with Jesus or the God of the Bible. God, I just pray that this morning, God, that you would attune our hearts and open up our ears and just have us ready to receive whatever you would want to speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So really what I want to do this morning is share a little bit of our story with you. I know there's so many new people here now, um, and so maybe you've never heard our story. I don't know if you've noticed this, but really within the past two months, just in two months alone, we have seen about another 60 to 65 people added to just this church. Um, So it is phenomenal with what Jesus is doing. Um, I heard a phrase the other day, we were talking with some of our pastors, and you know how as a pastor you're always praying for a move of God or some kind of revival to take place or or whatever, and I think the reality of it is, is um, we're not praying for that, we're in it. (laughs) We're not praying for it, we're we're, we're actually seeing it right now because, I don't know if you know this, this is not normal when within one year when you plant a church and you have 115 people give their life to Jesus, that is just not normal. Um, The average stat of that throughout all of America, the average church that sees conversions in the first uh, year or two is they see about two or three people come to know Jesus. And so this, we're not praying for revival right now, we're in it. So the, the question is, how do you get on the train? How do you get on the bus? How are you going to be a part of what God is doing? Because I'm positive of this. When you jump on something that is so much bigger than you, God is going to take you into much deeper heights than you ever thought that he could. Every single person that serves on our leadership team or our dream team, which, by the way, shout out to our dream team. We added about 18 new people to our dream team this Sunday. So we're excited about that. But listen, 
Every single person that gets involved, and I know at first it's a little bit nerve-wracking and you don't know what to do, but every single person that has gotten involved, I have seen their relationship with Jesus skyrocket. Because there's something about serving and then there's something about rubbing elbows with other people that it just begins to draw things out of you and, and it does something to you. And living life together with other people is really what you've probably been looking for all Along. So I want to read a passage to you um, in Luke. And this is a passage that's usually read on like Palm Sunday. So it's a little bit different, but I think it fits for what I want to talk about this morning. So it's in Luke chapter 19, um, verse 28. If you don't have a Bible, we have a gigantic one right behind me. Um, so Luke 19, starting in 28, and it says this. Um, and we're going to go, let me just set this up for you. We're going to go backwards this morning, okay? I'm going to read the end of this chapter first, and then I'm going to read the beginning, and we're going to bring it all together, and it's going to make sense. So hang with me, okay? So Luke chapter 19, it says, after telling this story, Jesus went on towards Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. As he came to the towns of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. Now listen to this. This is pretty interesting. He says, go into that village over there, he told them, and then as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden, okay? So this is a wild, untamed donkey. It says, untie it and bring it here. (laughs) If anyone asks you, why are you untying that colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. (laughs) So this would be the equivalent of somebody knocking on your door, and as you open the door, they just walk in your house, and so you're kind of like, what, what's going on? They grab your car keys, and as you reach for your pistol before you shoot them, you say, what are you doing with my keys? And they say, don't worry, the Lord needs it. <laughs> and you're like, say, what fool? Well, the Lord better come to my house and take my car, because you are not taking my car. Right? This would be the same equivalent. So they have these guys that just stroll up to this fence post, untie this donkey, and their reply is, hey, no worries, buddy. The Lord needs it. So let's keep reading and see what happens. Picking it up in verse 32. So they went and found the colt, just as Jesus has said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying that colt? And the, the disciples simply replied, here's the reply again, the Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it for him to ride on. As he rode along, the crowd spread out their garments, so meaning their clothes, their shirts, their jackets, on the road ahead of them. And when his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in heaven in the highest of heaven. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, Rebuke your followers for saying things like that. But he replied, I love this line, if they keep quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. So we see this picture. God needs something to happen. He's realizing that he's riding in, and and he knows it. The disciples don't know it. The people don't know it, but he knows it. That he's preparing a way because in a few days, when everybody was cheering him along, in a few days, they're going to be cursing him and murdering him and killing him on a cross. So I want you to notice a few things. The Lord issues a command. He says, hey, I need something. Go get it. And if you're willing to go get it, I'll give it to you. Okay, so this is kind of what we have going on. But before I kind of unpack this passage, 
I want to just kind of give you an update of really where we're at today. I don't know if many of you know this or not, but um, our church here in Crowley, we planted September 14th, or started September 14th, 2014. So we've been a church for about a month, and, about a year and about four months now. And um, ever since we've started, we've never started alone. It's never been by ourselves. If you don't know a little bit of the history, um, my dad in 2000, actually in about 1999, he had a passion and a vision really to start a church in Jennings, Louisiana, of all places. We were living in Lafayette at the time, and he just had a heart to start a church. And uh, we started a church um, in the Holiday Inn in Jennings, and it's not the Holiday Inn anymore. I think it's a Days Inn or something like that now. And we met in this conference room. And let me give you the scenario. Let me give you the setup of how this, how church went down for us, okay? So basically, church was every Sunday morning, um, our launch team, the people that we started with, our dream team was my family. <laughs> that was it. There was nobody else. And we had this old, rickety green van, and we would literally load up everything into this van. So sound systems, signs, all this kids' supplies, all this stuff. And we would drive from Lafayette to Jennings. And we did this for about a year, meeting in the Holiday Inn. And we would, we would get there about 5 o'clock in the morning, set up all the chairs, set up all the sound system, run all the wires. And then my, brother, my brothers and I, were, we were the worship team. Okay, and, and so it was probably the worst possible way that you could start a church, but we did it, and somehow we survived. Our kids' classrooms, get this, were in a hotel room. Imagine dropping, hey, welcome to our church. Where's the kids, where do the kids meet at? In that hotel room right over there. I would have walked out of the door and left if that was my child. Um, but that's how we started, so we start, and uh, we used to have, my dad would be preaching in this conference room, and literally right across the hallway was this country western bar. Okay, so my dad would be in the middle of of preaching and you hear like George Jones blaring music and like drunks like going crazy and like coming walking into our service. It was awesome. Um, and, and so that's, that's how we started. And then in about 2002, we realized, um, we started growing out of this holiday inn. We realized, hey, you know what? We've got to find a permanent place. We've got to get out of this space. We need somewhere else. We've got to get our kids out of the hotel rooms. And um, so we started looking, and we came across this about 10-acre piece of property um, in Jennings, Louisiana. It used to be the old Columbia Gulf. And uh, they had a warehouse there that my dad had his eye on. And if you know anything about my dad, he's actually very convincing when he's negotiating things. And so he goes in there, and uh, the, the guy that was selling it, he says, listen, I have a great deal for you. It, he said, and the guy's like, listening, what, what's your deal? He said, the great deal is give me this building. <laughs> and you have an awesome tax write-off if you give me this building. And the guy was like, no, you have uh, six weeks, and I need $100,000 if you want this building. And six weeks. And now let me, let me keep something in mind here. We had about 30 people in our church, okay? 30 people. How in the world are we going to come up with $100,000 in six weeks? Well, long story short, in six weeks, we had $100,000, and we bought that property cash. We bought that whole property for cash. It was just an absolute miracle. We start in this place now, and over the past probably 10 years or so, um, we have renovated, we've built buildings on that property, we've added more land, all kinds of things. We've just seen God do some incredible things. And today, as Jennings sits, there's about 400 people that go to that church every single Sunday. Um, But listen to this. 
it was not an easy journey. Um, let me set up a little bit of the backstory for you. This was um, me and my brothers. When my dad moved, uh, when we moved from Lafayette, we were angry. I mean, you imagine being in a school system for about 10 years and then getting ripped away from all of your friends and all of your sports teams that you were affiliated with. I was never affiliated with any, but my brothers were. All of those things that you were affiliated with, all your friends that you grew up with since, you know, kindergarten, and all of a sudden just being ripped out of that environment, placed into this new environment. You don't know anybody and my dad's coming here. We knew nobody in Jennings. It wasn't like he had any relationships established. We knew nobody. And I think the moral of all of that that I've learned from it is if you want to be a part of something great, you have to sacrifice. There's no way around it. We live in a culture today where we want the easy button, right? So if you're in debt and you're struggling with your finances, like nobody wants to work to try to, you know, better their spending habits. They just want to go get a loan. Like get me out of this hole so I can fix it. And then immediately what do you find? You find yourself in deeper trouble and deeper debt, right? And so a lot of times we live in this culture where we don't want to sacrifice. We don't want to do something that's going to cause us to risk. But I'm absolutely convinced that through reading the scriptures and seeing for the past 16 years of helping plant churches that At the end of the day, nothing great happens unless you put everything on the line. Absolutely everything on the line. You have to sacrifice something. So in 2007, um, after the church was going good in Jennings for a while, in 2007, we had saved up a bunch of money and we were going to build a new addition because we were running two services in this just little janky little space that we had built. And um, we literally were sitting in a, a pastor's meeting one day and we had uh, had a really a desire to plant another church. And so we took all the money that we had and we dumped it in Eunice. And we started a church in Eunice, Louisiana um, in 2007. We uh, renovated a old orthodontist kind of office. We tore down just a bunch of walls and stuff like that. And uh, as, we, as we speak today, there's about 150 people that go to Eunice and hear about Jesus every single Sunday. And so that, that's been there for, yeah, you, you don't, yeah, there we go. And let me give you a little tip. If one person starts, just go for it, all right? Um, Don't leave them hanging. They're like, oh, God. Um, This is one of those churches. Uh, And then in 2000, after Eunice was going strong, (laughs) there we go. (laughs) All right, stop. Um, In 2011, we uh, actually expanded a new space in uh, Jennings. We built a brand new addition a whole new sanctuary to actually feel the capacity of people. There was about 200 people at the time going, and we were meeting in a space that held about 90. Um, so you can imagine it was really crammed, really tight. And uh, so we built a new addition in about 2011, and the beauty of that was we built it cash. Um, we, we don't owe anything on it. Um, I, we really believe in trying to be a good steward with our finances, and so um, most of the things that we have built have been with cash, and we don't owe anything on those things. Um, And then in 2014, this is where we come into play. We have, uh, we start sitting around at the very beginning of, I'd say, January of 2000, well, probably November, December of December of uh, 2013. We started praying and we, a lot of our pastors got together and we said, look, we really feel like we're supposed to start another church. And so the, the first immediate thing that you do is, okay, who's going to be the pastor and who's, who's going to go there? Who's going to move there? Who's going to do all that kind of stuff? And, and I'm thinking at this time, you know, it's not going to be me. 
Um, so we're, we're praying, I'm, God, who is this person going to be? And so one day, um, after a few months of us praying and really just trying to seek God on who that should be, I come in and I sit down in a meeting and they're like, hey, we think we found the person. And I'm like, great, all right, who is it? And they're like, we think it's you. And I'm like, oh, crap. <laughs> um, can I say that? Uh, um, and, and so, but honestly, as soon as that moment happened, there was just something that welled up inside of me. My wife had wanted, my wife and I have wanted to plant a church for years, and um, we just never realized that it would happen this quickly at 28 years old that I'd have an opportunity to be able to do that. And um, so we start planning, and our first meeting, many people don't know this, our first meeting when we, before we even, before it is what it is today here in the Rice Theater, our first meeting ever was on February 23rd of 2014, my anniversary uh, my, of, of being married to my wife. And uh, we met in Pastor Jamie's living room, who is our pastor in Eunice. We met in a living room, and we had about 30 people that um, came and just met together. And for about six months, um, we trained these 30 people. We equipped them, and we, we asked them a thousand times over, are you sure you want to do this? It's going to be a lot of work. And um, on September 14th of 2014, we opened the doors for the first time, and we opened the doors for the first time, 185 people showed up. And, um, and yeah, awesome. And uh, honestly, it is so humbling to be able to look back over this past year and just to see everything that God has done. Um, I can honestly say that I'm fi- I feel like I'm part of a church that I've always wanted to be a part of. Um, I'm, I'm living life with a group of people that not only that I would just call people in the church, but that honestly have become some of my best of friends. And I think the reality behind that is that God... In all of this thing that he was working up when it started in 1999 with my dad, he saw you guys. And so I want you to know that there is, like, the way that we have built since day one is this premise around family. We genuinely believe that we're not called to do life alone. And so really what I want to present to you guys is some of the uh, issues that we're facing within some of our other campuses and really give you guys an opportunity in some kind of way, shape, or form to be able to give back to that. Many of you don't know this, but when you plan a church, um, it costs a lot of money. And there's a lot of churches that do not, I mean, they, they launch for six months and then they fail, and it's not because they didn't have a good vision or they didn't um, have good people or a good pastor or whatever. It's just they, they really did not have the money to sus- sustain themselves. And um, it costs a lot of money. And so one of the most humbling things that happened to us and my wife and I in this church is when we were going off to start this church, Jennings and Eunice gave us, let me, this was not a loan, they gave us $200,000 to start this church. Um, but I also want to say it, I want to say it this way. Our Savior's church has never been built on the back of a few just rich people, <laughs> Okay, the, the, people look at it this way, man, you guys have planted churches all over, you must be having like tons of money. It's not like that. Our Savior's church has been built on the men and women that buy into the vision of reaching people, building lives, and people that just decide to say, you know what, I'm going to do my part in that. And so it's every person that gets involved in some way, shape, or form, whether it's giving, whether it's serving, whether it, whatever it is, time, talent, treasure, 
How can you be a part of what God's doing here? And so really the the vision that I want to present to you today is the vision that we presented at day one when we started in the Holiday Inn that, hey, this is all about reaching people, building lives. You know, there's many of you that sit here today that did not know Jesus before this church existed. And it's not because my wife and I, our leadership here, it's just because Jesus loved you enough to bring you to this church so that he could have a relationship with you. And so at the end of the day, if you ever feel like, man, I I was loving Jesus, I was serving Jesus, things were going well in the beginning, and now I kind of feel like it's waning off, like what's going on? And chances are it's because you've decided, as I said last week, you've probably decided to just do life on your own. And I don't want you to do that. See, this place one day is going to be filled. I'm positive of it. And I want you to jump on the train. I want you to jump on the bus now and be a part of our team so that way you can feel like, you know what? Not only did I go to that church, but I had a part of actually building it. There's something so much more special in that when you feel like you can be a part of it. So it's exciting to see all that God's doing. It's exciting to say that here at OSC Crowley, um, just within a little over a year, we have over 200 people that now call this place their church. When it took my dad uh, 10 years to be where we're at now, uh, that is totally an act of God. And so really what I want to present to you guys is just some of the issues that Jennings and Eunice is facing right now. And um, basically, some of the things that they're going through, they have 130 spots in their parking lot. Um, and last week, they had, they had 190 cars. <laughs> so they can only park 130, and they had 190. Um, their kids' spaces can hold about, they do two services now to try to somewhat shift that weight, but it's still packed. Their kids' services, or their kids' facilities, I would say, can hold about 80 kids. I'd say about on an average Sunday, they're having anywhere from about 100 to 110. Okay, so this means t- one of two things. Um, Either we're having to turn kids away and they got to go sit in with their parents or we're smashing in some of the kids as much as we can and it's just absolute chaos. Have you ever had two two two-year-olds together just by themselves? You know how crazy that can be just alone? Well, you put like 30 of them together and there is that teacher is like gray within an hour. You know, her hair is completely gray. So here's, here's what I want to say. I'm presenting these things to you not to compel you or not to say that you have to do something. I just want to give you the opportunity to see where we're at and then you to really step back and ask God, hey, is there any kind of way that I can be a part of this? You know what? I know right now with where the economy at, I mean, where the economy is, I mean, people, everybody all around us are struggling. People are losing jobs left and right. Um, I'm sure everybody living in Louisiana right now is pretty mad at Texas because it seems like they're holding all the jobs, right? Um, and so it's, we're, we're in some pretty tough times right now. But listen, it does not mean that God is worried about anything. God's not stressing. God's not strained. Like I've said this before, there is no plan B. Plan A for Jesus is his church. And so God is going to take care of this church no matter what happens. And so really what I want to say to you today is we're presenting all these things that are going on because ultimately at the end of the day, we want you to be a part in some small shape or form. 
So whether that's just jumping on the dream team and saying, hey, look, I would love to serve. What can I do? Or maybe if it's, maybe you've been skeptical about giving or whatever, so it's testing God and with your finances and, and those things. And I know sometimes uh, money, when we talk about that as pastors or we talk about that as a church, for some people it's just kind of like oil and water. It doesn't mix, right? Um, but the truth is, since day one, we've always had this open door policy. You want to know anything, we'll tell you. You want to know absolutely anything, we'll tell you. We don't hide anything. So let me shift gears just a little bit. Ultimately, we do all this because it's about reaching people, building lives. We do everything that we do at the end of the day so people can come to know Jesus. We don't build buildings to build fancy buildings. We build buildings so people can come to know Jesus. Um, We've been accused before of, you know, you guys are just all about the numbers. That's all you care about is numbers because you count every weekend. Let me, let me just say this. We're guilty as charged. We do care about the numbers because every single person that comes in here is another person that has an opportunity to know Jesus. So we count people because we know that as more people are coming in that, hey, that is somebody that does not know Jesus or that is somebody that has not had the opportunity to ever experience what life together looks like or what real family looks like. You know, I know for a fact that there's people in here today that are sitting in here that have never experienced genuine relationships. Like you've never experienced what it looks like to sit across a table with somebody else and eat a meal with them and be able to share all of your deepest, darkest struggles and not be judged by them. But somebody else can look at you and say, hey, how do we dive into this and how do we help and how can we hold each other's arms up and be there for each other? That's what church should look like. You know, I had the privilege this weekend, we took some of our, our guys that help lead in different departments in here, and we, we went, we camped, okay, we had a camping trip out at Lake Fossey Point, and um, honestly, it was just so cool to see within just one year the relationships that God has forged, just within a year. I mean, you would, you would think with the, some of the conversations and just cracking up and joking around that we've known each other for 15 years, and that's just not the case, And I'm absolutely positive of this. When you dive into this, when you become a part of something that's bigger than yourself, God begins to forge relationships really quickly. I don't know if you know this or not, but the 12 disciples, I mean, they were like brothers, but they were only around Jesus for three years. Three years. Why were they able to change the course of human history in just three years? I'll tell you why. Because they were a part of something that was so much bigger than themselves, and it forged relationships really quickly. I don't know if you know this. All 12 of them, with the exception of John, were murdered for the sake of Jesus. They died. They were crucified. They, they were hung upside down. They were stoned. They were bo- all these things. And I say that because ultimately they were so dedicated to a cause. Of like, you know what, Jesus charged us with this mission. And if we don't do this, there are people that are dying and going to hell. And we had an opportunity to do something about it. And at the end of the day, when you you latch on to that, I promise you, I can promise you, you're going to be at a place where you feel so inadequate with sharing the gospel that it's going to cause you to dive into scripture. You're going to dive into deeper things of community because you're going to want to know because you've just been thrown into the fire and you're going to say, I've got to learn. I've got to grow. So, number one, the first point that I want to make this morning. It's all about 
the gospel. You know, we, we had this campaign called Reach a few years ago. This was the whole campaign that basically kick-started this church. Um, there's, it's broken up into three different phases, and we've completed phase one. Uh, phase one was simply raise $200,000 for us to start a church. Um, phase two is uh, remodel our Eunice campus a little bit. And phase three is we're building an entire new kids facility um, in Jennings. And, and so we've accomplished that. We've done those things. Uh, we're, we're still right now, Eunice, we have the money to actually fund everything that we're doing in Eunice right now. Uh, one of the things that we're working on right now is being able to build uh, that building in Jennings. We're halfway there. We have half of it and we still got to raise the other half. But ultimately, at the end of the day, the reason that we do this is because it's all about Jesus. It's all about the gospel. So, when you hear that word, I know, I realize that there are people in here that maybe you don't even know what the gospel simply means. And so I want to take just a few minutes to explain what the gospel really is. And this is the thing, when I understood what the gospel is, this is what caused me and compelled me to want to dive deeper into my relationship with Jesus. Here's the gospel. We've sinned, all of us. You ever wake up in the morning and you just feel inadequate? (laughs) You ever wake up in the morning and the stresses and the weights of life and you look at all of it and say, how in the world am I going to accomplish this? You ever go to bed at night and you say, I don't really, like, I don't know how to deal with this, so maybe you you, you medicate (laughs) or maybe, maybe, maybe you drink a little too much, more than you should have. Or maybe whatever it is, or or maybe you don't know how to deal with the conflict in your own life, so it begins to bleed into your marriage, and you begin to separate away from each other. See, this is sin. This is what sin is, but here's what the gospel is. The gospel is we have no way in patching that up on our own. When you look at life's troubles and the stresses and the depressing things of life, when you look at it all, there is absolutely no way out on your own. None. But then this is where Jesus comes in. Ultimately, he says, you know what? You were bankrupt, but I paid a debt that you could not owe. And I now freely give it to you. That's what the cross is. Jesus saying, hey, before Jesus came down and died and rose again, there was absolutely no bridge for you. There was no way whatsoever. And Jesus says this, I love you enough to die for you. I love you enough to give up everything for you. And and here's what I love about the gospel as well. I love you enough even where you're at right now. Like not even some future version that you're dreaming about, some person that you wish and hope that you'll be in, in six months or a year from now. That's why I hate New Year's resolutions. That's why we didn't do one here at this church because I think a lot of times people get fascinated with this whole idea of, okay, when I fill in the blank, when I stop doing this and when I stop doing that, Jesus will love me more. No. Jesus absolutely loves you exactly where you're at. And this is what he says. All your sin, all your shame, all of your past, all of your mess, just give it to me right now. And I'll make you whole, I'll make you clean, I'll make you new. You get a complete do-over. And then there's a second part to this. Not only do I want to adopt you into my family, not only do I want to ransom you from your debt, but I want to place you in a life-giving, loving church that can help you walk through this. That's why he calls the church the hope of the world. 
The church is the hope of the world. Listen, the church is not just a place that we come on Sunday morning and sing songs and shake some hands and drink some coffee and listen to a small, white, skinny guy on stage preach. Okay? It's not church. Church, at the end of the day, is saying, listen, I have received the most incredible gift in the world, and so have you. What are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? So if you know Jesus in here this morning, and you feel like you are just completely lost, maybe you feel like you're tired this morning, maybe you feel like that because your relationship with Jesus is completely centered around one person, you And it's not attaching to something bigger. It's not attaching to something greater than you. You know why a bunch of people can get in an arena in New Orleans and yell and scream? Here's the question that I have. Why in the world can we get in a stadium and paint our chest purple and gold and fleur-de-lis and run around the field butt naked? I know some of you have done that in here. Why is it that we can do that? We can scream, we can shout at the top of our lungs, and then we walk into a church and it's like, if that guy touches me, I'm going to knock him out. I'm going to knock him out. (laughs) Why why is it that we can do that? I'll tell you why. Because when you're at a Saints game, when you're at an LSU game, what are you? You are a part of something bigger than you. It's a team. It's it's the, the electricity, the excitement in the air. And listen, this is the way that God wants the church to be. The gospel is the most exciting news on the face of the earth. You were dead, hopeless, there was absolutely no way out, and God in his grace and his mercy says, I don't only just want to save you, I want to place you into a family, and now you can be a part of something beyond you. Beyond you. This is the whole idea of why we believe so much in reaching people and building lives and building buildings and planting churches and campuses all over the place because it's the most effective way to reach people. So the question that I ask you again is, what are you going to do? How are you going to be involved? See, Matthew 10, 8 says it this way, freely you have received, so freely give. Freely you have received a gift that you can never earn on your own. I don't know if you know this about the gospel. You don't attain it by works. You don't receive salvation by just trying to work it off. You receive it at the end of the day because it's a free gift. It's a free gift. Man, the saddest thing that I see is some people that just believe, if I could just clean myself up, I could just do this and I could just do that and I could be a better person and I could just work all these things and God would accept me and God would love me. But there's one scripture that just blows all of that out of proportion when he says, no, bring me your burdens now. Come just as you are, weary, loaded down, just as you are right now. You know what the work is? You know what the work the gospel is talking about? The work is simply remembering that God is good enough. (laughs) That's the work. The work is remembering all that God has done for you and resting in that. Second point that I want to make is this. And this is where I'm going to bring us back to this passage that I read in the beginning. Number two, 
God works through his people. God works through his people. 1 Corinthians 3, 9 puts it this way, for we are his co-workers in God's service. 2 Corinthians 6, 1 says this, God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. Don't receive it in vain. So let's go back to that line in the very beginning. The Lord needs it. So, so here's the question. Why in the world would Jesus, okay, the Son of God, all-powerful, go and ask two men to go and take this cult? Why? I mean, if Jesus really wanted to, he could snap his fingers and a donkey would have been right there. And he could have rode on it. I mean, he could have zapped any donkey or colt or horse or anything he wanted from anywhere he wanted to. He didn't need the disciples. He didn't need any of them. But it proves a point. When the Lord needs something done and he wants to get something done, the first measure of him getting something done is going to his people. And let me tell you why. Because once you do it, there is a great joy in knowing that you're working to please Jesus. See, it's not necessarily about the act or the thing that you're actually doing. It's at the end of the day that they were obedient to what Jesus called them to do. And they did it because they knew that they were part of something greater than themselves. And so here's the deal. We say this all the time, unashamedly. The Lord doesn't need your money. He doesn't. Like this church will be okay because God's taking care of it. At the end of the day... The Lord wants it, and the Lord wants your time, and he wants your talent, and he wants your treasure at the end of the day because he knows if he does, you're going to receive the most joy this life has to offer. Because when you're living to please Jesus, and when you're living to be a part of something that is bigger than just you, there is a joy that follows that. The most joyful experience that I have ever been a part of is being a part of this church. It's this church. To see all that God has done. Man, if you would have known, if you would have known just the crazy hell that my wife and I went through just to get here. I mean, all the stuff that we went through to sell our home, um, leaving, like honestly, friends that we've had forever. When we came to Crowley, uh, you know how many people I knew? Zero. <laughs> Nobody. So you know what the first few months for me looked like? I mean, I'm, si- I'm going in restaurants and coffee shops and sitting down and just trying to meet as many people as I possibly can. And that was the scariest place I've ever been in my life. Many, many of you don't know this, but before we launched this church, I mean, I was, there's a balcony right up here and I'm walking this balcony like going, oh my God, I think I'm about to pass out. Like I'm going to throw up. I mean, it's like 9.30, you know, and there's not too many people here. I'm like, nobody's going to show up. This is going uh, to be the greatest bust in human history. <laughs> like, this is going to be terrible. And then to sit up here on, on the first Sunday and go, oh, my God. Like, God is with us. Like, oh, my God. Like, this, this word actually works. <laughs> like, oh, my goodness. God actually does care so much about his people. That he loves us enough. Let me ask you the question, what would happen if the disciples didn't go? 
what would have happened? What, what would have happened if in 1999 my dad had said no? You know, I believe that, I mean, if God really wanted a church in Jennings, he would have put a church in Jennings anyway. But let's just hypothetically, what would have happened if there are certain people in your life that would not have been obedient to the call of God? I guarantee you there'd be people in here that know Jesus today that would not know Jesus. Some of us sit here today, including myself, because of the obedience of other men and women. You know, the only reason that my dad was able to pastor a church is because he shared his story with you before, but I mean, he was crazy. <laughs> like, crazy. I mean, his high school years did not grow up loving Jesus. My, my dad told me a story one time. He said, we used to ride around in a pickup truck and we stole this huge fire hydrant and there'd be people on the uh, sidewalks and we would just blow them away. <laughs> like, just blow them away. I'm like, that is awesome. Um, like, he was absolutely just crazy. And let me tell you, you know what happened for him? You know how he met Jesus? He had a grandmother that was relentlessly praying for him. She would call him at four o'clock in the morning and said, I've been praying for you. He's like crazy drunk, you know. Hey, I've been thinking about you. I'm concerned for you. I've been praying for you. What's going on? Is there anything I can help you with? Some of us, many of us, sit in this room today because other men and women followed the call of God and they wanted to be a part of something bigger than themselves. So the whole reason that I share all of this today with you is because every single person in this room sits in these seats today because other men and women said, you know what, it's not about us. It's not about us. People gave to seats that they would never even see. Think about that. People that are totally rooted in our Jennings and Eunice campus and have no intentions of ever going anywhere else but they gave to people that they'd never know in seats they'd never sit in because they believed in something bigger than themselves. You know, when I look back on some of the numbers and everything that God has done here in this church and I watch the video of the baptisms and all that kind of stuff, it's overwhelming. Because when you, when you go to and you, you start something you have all these fears and you have all these anxieties and you have all these conversations of like, so if this doesn't work, what are we gonna do? Like if this doesn't work, I don't, I don't have a plan B. Like I went to Bible college. <laughs> I, don't, I didn't go anywhere else. Like what, what else do I do? I don't have, you know, a backup plan at all whatsoever. And the most humbling thing that I've seen in the past year and a half or so is that as long as I continue to allow God to lead and fix my eyes on the vision of reaching pe- people, building lives, and though there may be corners that we turn around that are absolutely scary and nerve-wracking, I know that God is with us. Because all I have to do is step back and look at everything that we have done just because we have answered the call of God. I don't know if you know this, but right now, this morning, Across the three churches that we have planted, Crowley, Eunice, and Jennings, there's almost 800 people worshiping together. 800 people worshiping together. That's God. That's that's God looking down on Jennings and Eunice and Crowley and saying, look, I love this city so much that I want to build life-giving churches in it so that people can come 
and know Jesus. So, you may be asking, so pastor, (laughs) what are you asking me to do? Like, what do you want? And all I'm asking you to do is just say yes to whatever God convicts you to do. Just say yes to whatever God is telling you to do. You got a card this morning. You can, if you want, if you're a detailed person, you like to look at all the details, you can follow that card and you can see where we're at in this whole REACH project and the phases that our Jennings campus is at and our Eunice campus and all that kind of stuff. In about six weeks, we're going to give you an opportunity for those of you that can, and if you want to give towards that project, we're going to give you an opportunity to do that. But we want to give you six weeks to really pray about it, seek God on it. One of the things that we absolutely cannot stand doing, and you'll never see us doing when when guys get up here and they're begging and pleading for money, we're never going to do that. Um, Just because I think it's damaging to the gospel when you do that, because ultimately if it's God's vision, he'll do it. (laughs) He'll, He'll make it happen. But God just loves to use his people He loves when his people answer his call and they just say, yes, hey, I'm willing to be a part of that. And I know this, as we continue to give back to the people that have given to us, because listen, there's coming a day in about a year or two, hey, it could be two, I don't know, soon, okay, I don't want to put a time limit. There's coming a day soon when this theater is not going to be adequate for us. And, and we're going to be looking for land. We're going to be looking for a building. And I believe this. If we sow back into the people that have sowed to us, God is going to massively bless this church and be with us. You guys believe that? So let me close with this. Acts 2 puts it this way, and obviously I'm paraphrasing. It says, No one has needs, or everyone, sorry, everyone has needs. Every single person in this room has something that they need, right? But there is this idea when you latch on to something that is bigger than you and you begin to serve a greater cause that God begins to meet your needs. You know, there's a story, actually, if we back up in Luke chapter, um, let me just read it. It's actually in uh, chapter 19. It's not going to be on the screen. It's starting in uh, verse 11. And it says this, As they heard these things, he he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem. And because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately, he said, Therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. So he's leaving away from this land and he's about to take three guys, and he's going to say, you know what, I'm going to give you some money, and I want you to be good stewards of it, and this is what happens. He says, calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas, which is basically three months worth of salary, okay? So it'd be like your boss coming to you and saying, hey, I've got three months worth of a paycheck, and I'm going to give it to you, and when I get back, I want you to double it, triple it, whatever, and I'm going to let you keep some of it, okay? So this is what's going on. He said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. And when he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money and he called to them that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made 10 more. And he said to him, well done, good servant. And watch this. Because you have been faithful and very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. 
And the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five. And he said to him, and you are over five cities. Then the other came, saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I have kept laid away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you, because you were a severe man. You took what you did not deposit and reap, and what you did not sow. He said to him, watch this, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put the money in the bank and at me coming back, I could have collected interest? And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has 10. And they said to him, Lord, he has 10. And he says, I tell you, to everyone that has more will be given. But for the one who has not even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Okay, it's an intense verse, so let me break it down what's going on in this passage. Ultimately, he gives them three months worth of wages. You have one guy that literally gets 10 more. He does good business. There's another man that has five more. He does good. And there's another that just kind of, okay, I got this good thing here and I don't want to lose it. I want to hoard it. I want to keep it to myself. And then what does he do? When he comes back, he's asking for everybody's stuff. And when he gets to that one servant that held it, he says, you know what? Take his and give it to the man that's willing to work. (laughs) Take his and give it to the man that's willing to put in the work. Here's the moral behind this whole story. If you're in need right now and you need something, God is saying, listen, what are you willing to do to reach people and build lives? And as you begin to attach to that, then you're going to experience something that you've never experienced in your life. But if you have this good news that we call the gospel, you've been saved by grace through faith you know Jesus, and you're just hoarding it and holding on to it and not doing anything about it. Listen, there's people out here that need to hear the news that you have. Man, there's people that live right next door to you that need to know Jesus. There's people that you go to work with that need to know Jesus. There's people that you see every single day that could probably benefit by coming here. That's, you know, the simplest thing that you can do is just invite somebody to church. Invite somebody to church. So listen, as I said earlier, what am I asking of you guys this morning? I'm just asking you to say yes to whatever you feel like God is calling you to do. I'm not here to force anybody to do anything. I'm not here to guilt anybody to do anything. I just want you to say yes to whatever you feel like God is calling you to do. What is God calling you to do? Is God calling you to, hey, Man, you know what I need to do? Maybe I don't have finances right now. I want to jump on the dream team. I want to go go serve in kids. I want to go serve as our greeters. I want to go serve, maybe maybe you're a musician, maybe you play on the worship team, whatever it is. Man, when you attach to those things, it's awesome. And God begins to bring the friendships and the relationships that you've been looking for since day one. Maybe I know I've seen some faces in here that have been with us since first day and many of us many of you have gotten connected and there's still some of you that are kind of floating back and forth like man where's my fit where do I go what do I do listen here's here's the truth is you know what you need to do (laughs) you've heard our lingo long enough you know how much we value family and community and living life together for some of us it just requires that bold step in stepping out and, and doing that 
So let me pray, and I want to share a few things with you guys. Father God, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you that we have, God, just the incredible opportunity to be a part of something so much bigger than us. God, that at the end of the day, the reason that we give, the reason that we do what we do is so that people far from you can come to know you. God, I pray for those, God, today that are lost. God, they're struggling, they're hurting. Maybe they're addicted. God, whatever it is, God, I pray that you would save them. God, I pray that you would graciously and mercifully reveal yourself to them. God, wherever they're at in their life, in Jesus' name, Amen.